Thank you, ladies. Good evening, saints. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. To this uh, time of worship, it's so good to look out and see so many of you here this evening. I've already thoroughly enjoyed grasping the hands of old friends and, and visiting for a few minutes before the service. I welcome you tonight. Uh, it's a special service. <coughs> Excuse me. It's one that uh, the priesthood here at Buckner have been planning for uh, really an entire year. We have realized that the date that is coming up soon is a special one in the history of the Restoration. And what I mean is on September the 22nd, if you'll recall from church history, is the day that Joseph Smith Jr. was able to see the plates for the very first time. He had in that vision and went to the place. He knew it when he saw it. And he found uh, the stone that was rounded on the top, and he lifted it up and was able to glance in and see. And he was met then by that angel Moroni we heard the ladies sing about uh, here this evening. And do you realize that's been 200 years ago this year, this week? When I was uh, 10 years old, 1976, this country uh, celebrated the sesquicentennial of the independence of this great nation. And I learned that word as a 10-year-old, and it's always stood out in my mind, the sesquicentennial. But that's what we celebrate here this week, the sesquicentennial of when Joseph was first shown the plates on which contained the record that we know is the Book of Mormon. So I pray this uh, service this evening will be one that uh, is uplifting to you. We told Brother Carl, let the Spirit guide and don't be restrained by any particular theme but preach as the Spirit bears witness to you. And that's really how uh, Joseph uh, came to even discover the plates. And you know the story how he sought the Lord that he might understand what it was the Lord would have him to do in his life. And he had that experience in the grove that then later led to the other experiences that he had. And the Spirit and angelic ministry guided him the entire time. I'd like to read to you, this may seem just a bit unusual, I'd like to read to you the testimony of the three witnesses as a call to worship this evening. Seemed appropriate. Be it known unto all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, unto whom this work shall come, that we, through the grace of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, have seen the plates which contain this record, which is a record of the people of Nephi and also of the Lamanites, their brethren, and also the people of Jared, who came from the tower of which hath been spoken. And we also know that they have been translated by the gift and the power of God, for his voice 
hath declared it unto us. Wherefore, we know of a surety that the work is true, and we also testify that we have seen the engravings which are upon the plates, and they have been shown unto us by the power of God and not of man. And we declare with words of soberness that an angel of God came down from heaven and brought and laid before our eyes that we beheld and saw the plates and the engravings thereon. And we know that it is by the grace of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ that we beheld and bear record that these things are true. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Nevertheless, the voice of the Lord commanded us that we should bear record of it. Wherefore, to be obedient under the commandments of God, we bear testimony of these things. And we know that if we are faithful in Christ, we shall rid our garments of the blood of all men and be found spotless before the judgment seat of Christ and shall dwell with him eternally in the heavens. And the honor be to the Father and to the Son and the Holy Ghost, which is one, one God. Amen. Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer and Martin Harris. I've selected a few hymns this evening, saints, as we begin our worship, that are hymns of the restoration, if you will. And the first is hymn number 364, Tenderly, Tenderly Lead Thou Me On. And after we sing this hymn, Brother Michael will bring our invocation.
Father who art in heaven. We thank Thee, O Lord, for Thy goodness and Thy mercy. Thankful that we have the opportunity to come together and to share in worship. And Father, we pray tonight that Thy Holy Spirit would be with us and give unto us, Heavenly Father, the words of life that we need as a people, both individually and collectively, that bear witness, Father, of your love and of the power of that which you have entrusted in these the last days through this holy gospel. We thank you, O Lord, for the saints that have gathered and thankful for their desires, Father, to worship you in spirit and in truth that their hearts might be touched and they might be sensitive to the movement of the Holy Ghost. So, Father, tonight we pray for thy guidance and thy direction, and we pray, Father, that all things might glorify thy holy name and that your holiness, Father, we might worship thee in the beauty of thy presence. Bless us in this hour, and we pray this in the name of your only begotten, even the Lord Jesus. Amen. Permit me, if you will, tonight to draw your attention to three passages of restored scripture from the first book of Nephi in the fourth chapter, from the first section of the Doctrine and Covenants in Latter-day Record, and Doctrine and Covenants 34 in the fourth paragraph. In the latter days, when our seed shall have dwindled in unbelief, Yea, for the space of many years and many generations, after the Messiah shall be manifested in body under the children of men, then shall the fullness of the gospel of the Messiah come unto the Gentiles, and from the Gentiles unto the remnant of our seed. And at that day shall the remnant of our seed know that they are of the house of Israel, and that they are the covenant people of the Lord. And then shall they know and come to the knowledge of their forefathers, and also the knowledge of the gospel of their Redeemer, which was ministered unto their fathers by him. Wherefore they shall come to the knowledge of their Redeemer, and the very points of his doctrine, that they may know how to come unto him and be saved. And then at that day will they not rejoice and give praise unto their everlasting God, their rock, and their salvation. Wherefore I, the Lord, knowing the calamity which should come upon the inhabitants of the earth, called upon my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., and spake unto him from heaven, and gave unto him commandments, and also gave commandments to others, that they should proclaim these things unto the world. And all this that it might be fulfilled, which was written by the prophets. 
the weak things of the world shall come forth and break down the mighty and strong ones, that man should not counsel his fellow man, neither trust in the arm of flesh, but that every man might speak in the name of God, the Lord, even the Savior of the world. That faith also might increase in the earth, and that mine everlasting covenant might be established, that the fullness of my gospel might be proclaimed by the weak and simple unto the ends of the world and before kings and rulers. And after having received the record of the Nephites, yea, even my servant Joseph Smith Jr. might have power to translate through the mercy of God, by the power of God, the Book of Mormon. And also those to whom these commandments were given might have power to lay the foundation of this church and to bring it forth out of obscurity and out of darkness, the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth, with which I, the Lord, am well pleased. And in weakness have I blessed him, and I have given unto him the keys of the mystery of those things which have been sealed, even things which were from the foundation of the world, and the things which shall come from this time until the time of my coming. Wherefore, watch over him that his faith fail not, and it shall be given by the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, that knoweth all things. And a commandment I give unto thee, that thou shalt write for him. And the Scriptures shall be given, even as they are, in mine own bosom, to the salvation of mine own elect, for they will hear my voice, and shall see me, and shall not be asleep, and shall abide the day of my coming, for they shall be purified, even as I am pure. Yes. 
Thank you, ladies, for your beautiful offering tonight, which has uh, ministered the Holy Spirit uh, to me and hopefully uh, to each of you as you listen tonight. It's a privilege to come and be with you tonight. I would greet each of you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Indeed, we come in celebration, marking those events which transpired uh, some 200 years ago this week, and we come to affirm and to reaffirm the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as it was restored in 1830 through the instrumentality of a young prophet, Joseph Smith, to affirm the experience in the grove of a young boy not yet 14 years old who went into the woods to pray and knelt there, uh, having encountered in God's word, as it records in James, that if any lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth unto all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. And having faith that God's word was true, he took God upon his promise and knelt down into the woods to pray, and there encountered the God of eternity and his son, Jesus Christ. And the great message of the gospel, the angel message, and the restoration of all things which was to come. And we come to celebrate that tonight, to affirm it and to confirm it, and to hopefully satisfy in your minds, if it is not already thus satisfied, that indeed this is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that there is only one name given under heaven whereby man may come unto God and have salvation. And that is under the name 
of Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, who came in the meridian of time. And so we come tonight with uh, many things on my heart, many things I want to share with you. And uh, I told uh, the brethren in the back before we came up that I had eight sermons to preach tonight. And so uh, I hope no one was in a hurry. And uh, so many things uh, I desire to share with you tonight. I won't share all of them, I'm sure. And uh, we have asked the good Lord to uh, put it upon my heart, those things which will be of most worth to you tonight. We stand in a great day, a momentous day, and we stand with the awesome accountability of saints in the kingdom in this last day to stand and bear witness of those things which we most assuredly know to be true. And as Brother Arthur Oakman used to say, Brethren, some things you believe and some things you know. And these things that I share with you tonight I know to be true. I know that God in heaven above has a great plan and a great work in this restoration yet to be unfolded in these last days and that we live in the final moments of our probation here upon the earth. And so it is that I come with a great deal of excitement tonight to share with you uh, those many things which I believe are important for us to understand. And so hopefully you know the, uh, the story of Joseph Smith If you don't have this little pamphlet, Joseph Tells His Own Story, I highly recommend it to you, uh, as well as an in-depth study of our church history. In the latter days, it will become very important for us to know and understand how God moved in restoring the church in the last days and to understand the angel message and the implication for each one of us uh, in these latter days. So the young prophet tells us in his own words that it was in the spring of 1820 when uh, he made it a matter of prayer concerning the passage of scripture recorded there in James and decided that he would take up the matter with his heavenly father and had appointed in his mind a place where he would go and seek out the Lord and make an earnest attempt for the very first time in his life. Uh, to pray over these things, and so he sought out that place in Palmyra's woodland. And so uh, I want to share some things regarding that experience tonight. He tells us uh, in his own words the things that followed as he uh, knelt in the woods there to pray. I want to read just a a couple excerpts uh, from his testimony, which I feel uh, are of great worth to us. We know there was a time of great religious excitement. We know that there was a tumultuous war of words. And among the great theologians of the day, there was a contest among religionists, uh, all vying for the testimony uh, that they had of the work to which they were involved, and they were seeking converts. And so amidst all this turmoil and commotion and confusion and all the religious excitement, He says, during this time of great excitement, my mind was called up to serious reflection and great uneasiness. I attended their several meetings as often as occasion would permit, but so great was the confusion and strife among different denominations for a person young as I was and so unacquainted with men and things to come. To add to this, he wanted to know which sect should I join. And that was his purpose in going into the grove. 
He says, while laboring under the extreme difficulties caused by this contest of these parties of religionists, I was one day reading the epistle of James, which I shared with you for a few minutes ago. He says, I reflected on it again and again, knowing that if any person needed wisdom from God, I did. For how to act, I did not know. At length, I came to the conclusion that I must either remain in darkness or confusion, or else I must do as James directs and go to God for wisdom. So he says it was on the morning of that beautiful clear day early in the spring of 1820. After I had retired to the place where I had previously designed to go, having looked around me and finding myself alone, I kneeled down and began to offer up the desires of my heart to God, and I had scarcely done so, when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me as to bind my tongue so that I could not speak. Thick darkness gathered round me, and it seemed for me for a time as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. But exerting all my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy which had seized upon me, at the very moment when I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction and to an imaginary ruin, not to some imaginary room, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world who had such marvelous power as I had never before experienced. Just at that moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. And so, as we know, there appeared unto him in Palmyra's woodland, God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, The one pointing to the other saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And so as Joseph tells, the object of his going and kneeling down to pray was to find out which of the sects that he should join. And he says, I was answered that I must join none of them for they were all wrong. And the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight. And those professors were all corrupt. They draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They teach for doctrine the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And he again forbade me to join any of them, and many other things he did say unto me, which I cannot write at this time. So that's the testimony of the young boy prophet. That indeed, in opposition to all the things that the theological world of the day was advancing, and their theologies which said the canon was closed and that God no longer spoke to man, and that angels did not appear unto men, and in all of those things, and in all of this war of words, young Joseph has an encounter with Almighty God. And here is told he's not to join any of their sects, but rather that he should wait upon God. In the intervening years between the spring of 1820 and the fall of 1823, he says because of the great persecutions that he suffered and having been left all alone in the world, he fell into many uh, delights 
and uh, sought to satisfy uh, those carnal delights and those things which were not pleasing to God and, and displayed the foolishness of his youth. And then in the fall of 1823, 200 years from Friday, while he was in his room praying over these things and asking God if he could again be used of him, and that if he could obtain forgiveness, that God might be merciful and continue to use him, he began to supplicate his heavenly Father for divine intervention. He says, While I was thus in the act of calling upon God, I discovered a light appearing in the room, which continued to increase until the room was lighter than at noonday, when immediately... A personage appeared at my bedside, standing in the air, for his feet did not touch the floor. He called me by name and said unto me that he was a messenger sent from the presence of God to me, and that his name was Moroni, and that God had a work for me to do, and that my name should be had for good and evil. He said there was a book deposited written upon gold plates, giving an account of the former inhabitants of this continent, and the source from which they sprang. And he said that the fullness of the everlasting gospel was contained in it, as delivered by the Savior to the ancient inhabitants. Describes the box that they were in, and how he would find them. Told him that God had prepared them for a purpose. Showed him the Urim and Thummim, and that they would be used for translating this book. And then he quoted several passages of scripture from Malachi uh, with a little variation from the way they are quoted uh, in our scriptures or in his scriptures in that day. And again, he quoted, Behold, I will reveal unto you the priesthood by the hand of Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he also quoted the next verse differently. And he shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers, and the hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers. If it were not so, the whole earth would be utterly wasted at his coming. As you know the story, he says he lay contemplating the singularity of those things which the messenger had shared with him when suddenly the room was filled with light again and the angel appeared a second time and shared those same things with him again. And what to his surprise after the angel had departed as he lay musing upon those things again, a third time the light entered his room, the angel appeared at his bedside once again and portrayed to him uh, with a few additional things, those things, which he had already twice shared with him. This was on September 21st, 1823. He says that he realized after this experience, uh, the cock crew, and he knew that the interviews of the night had taken all of the night. And it was time to get up and go about his labors, and he went out in the field to labor with his father, and he became weak, and couldn't perform his labors, and his father noticed that something was wrong and said, you need to go back home and get some rest. And so as he headed back home, he climbs across the fence, and while he's climbing the fence, he falls over the fence, and he lays there for some time, 
And he said the next thing he knew, the angel which had appeared to him thrice in the night was now again portraying to him all the things which he had shared as he occupied uh, that experience with him through the night. And then uh, the angel instructed him to go share with his father all the things that he had seen and heard. What a tremendous account. And so Joseph goes and he follows the commandment of the angel, and he goes and he shares with his father all the things that have occupied his visions in the night. And the angel message. And his father tells him that it's of God, and then he needs to go and do as the angel had told him. And so having seen the place in the vision, he went where he knew those plates were buried, and he says he knew it when he came to it, and there he saw for the first time the gold plates. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about this young boy of 14, not quite 15 years of age. So he kneels down in the woods to pray and he has this experience. And now for three years he carries and shares that testimony. And then he receives the object of his faith and he sees the plates, which we know to be the Book of Mormon. We know the account of what followed We know that the book was translated and in 1829 was published shortly before the church was organized in April 6th of 1830. There's so much of that account that I want to share with you tonight that I can't. So I have to ask you to go home and read that. Get out your church history and read that account and understand the impact of all the things that Joseph encountered because of this testimony which he could not deny. What was so important about the message that he received? Why was he told that Elijah would come before the great day of the Lord? What was so important in the message in the grove when God spoke to him and told him those things? I want to go back and take a look at those for just a moment. In the grove... Joseph was told not to join any of the sects of the day. He said all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, and that those professors were all corrupt. They draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and they teach for doctrine the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. There was something in that message that was of great import. And as we're told in the Doctrine and Covenants in section 45, and as is revealed in the translation of the Book of Mormon, we find out that this light sprang up and that God was restoring again His church. And I believe that it's important for the church to understand today the message of restoration. I believe that the church has widely lost its testimony and has lost its identity in the restoration and have forgotten the message. And because of that, today we hear a deluded message preached so frequently about the fullness of the gospel and what was actually restored there. Why were 
the creeds an abomination in the sight of God. From the Doctrine and Covenants, section 83. Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. And without the ordinances thereof and the authority of priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. For without this, no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. And so here in this statement, you start to understand in in a Holy Writ in the latter days is revealed to the prophet Joseph Smith, the man could not come into the presence of God. He could not behold His face. And so without the authority of priesthood and without the ordinances in the church, man could not come into the presence of God. And so the restoration is not just about the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. It's not just about the great and marvelous work. It's not just about authority of priesthood, but it's about restoring men again into the presence of God. And uh, their creeds were abominable because they had no authority by their own admission to bring men into God's presence. And they denied the ordinances and the power thereof. And so they had the form of godliness, as Joseph was told in the grove, but they did not have authority to restore men into the presence of God. And as we know, and as the Book of Mormon makes abundantly clear, that Satan, who was an angel of light, sought the destruction and the misery of all mankind. And because of the fall of Satan, men could not come back into the presence of God. They needed a plan of salvation. And that plan was yet to be unfolded in the latter days. And because of the dark ages, because of the darkness of the minds of men, and because the Melchizedek priesthood had been taken off the earth, there was no authority to bring man into the presence of God. In the visions, in the experience with the angel, In the fall of 1823, four times, Joseph was told that Elijah would come before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What was so important about that message? Elijah, the name Elijah in Hebrew, literally translated means God has saved. We know that in the Old Testament, it tells us that men and places were named prophetically. Elijah was given this name, God has saved. And we have to go back to the experience on on Carmel. I went back and I looked at this experience, jotted down a few things uh, that I want to share with you. From 1 Kings, the 18th chapter. You'll remember the experience of Elijah, the prophet. And you'll remember that uh, Jezebel and the prophets of Baal had troubled Israel. And Israel had gone a-whoring from God. And they had followed this prophetess and her prophets. And they had corrupted 
the great promises of God and his work. And Israel had been deceived and they had gone away from God. And so Elijah, when he had had enough, he called for the prophets of Baal, all 400 of them to come up on Mount Carmel. You remember the account? And he said, once and for all, we will decide whose God is God. They had them place an offering on the altar and said, we'll pray and we'll ask God. Now you'll build an altar and I'll build an altar. We'll put a sacrifice on them. And so he said, you pray in the morning after the morning sacrifice. He said, you pray and you ask your God to come down and burn up your sacrifice. And the prophets of Baal called and they called and they called upon their, their gods. And their gods could not deliver. And Elijah taunted them. And he said, perhaps your gods are asleep. And they continued to pray, and their God would not accept the sacrifice. And it says about the time of the evening sacrifice that Elijah went out and he put sacrifice on the altar. And he had them dig a ditch around the altar. And he said, let's pour some water over the altar and fill up the ditch with water. And then he prayed, he said, God, come down and show Israel whose God is God once and for all. Oh God, hear my prayer. Because Elijah wanted Israel to be restored to the covenants and promises and not to be deceived and to return to their God. And it says that fire came down, consumed the offering, It licked up the dust, it licked up the water in the ditch, and it burned the altar to the ground. And guess what those who saw it said? His God is God. And so Elijah became the great restorer. And so, as we're told in Scripture, into his hands is placed the keys of the kingdom, the keys to restore Israel to their covenants and promises, to turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. And the restoration has to recognize this today and remember this testimony. Abraham, you'll recall Abraham, Abraham, we're told, was committed the keys of the gathering of Israel. Because Abraham went to Mount Moriah at the command of God. He went to Moriah for the purpose of making a sacrifice. And you'll remember that he took a three days journey in similitude of the three days of Christ after he hung on the cross before he ascended into the presence of his heavenly Father. And as they went up the mountain, they got to the place and they had the, the wood, they gathered everything and everything was ready to make the sacrifice. And Isaac says, 
Father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Isaac said, God will provide a lamb. You know the account. Isaac put his son upon the altar as he had been commanded and raised the knife to make the sacrifice. And of course we know that a ram was caught in a thicket. God provided a lamb and they made the sacrifice. I propose to you tonight that it was not Isaac who was the sacrifice. It was not even the lamb, though it was in similitude of the only begotten son who would come in the meridian of time and be slain for the souls of men. But that day the great sacrifice that was made was the sacrifice of Abraham, who was a prophet and was the father of many nations. And there that day in similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten father, he was willing to offer up his son. And God calls us to nothing less than to lay down our wills and to live for Him and to make covenant with Him. A covenant by sacrifice, as it says in the 50th Psalm. And so these keys, we know, it's widely forgotten, seldom taught. But if you go and you look in your church history, you'll see that Elijah came in the spirit of Elias. You know that Elias is the Greek name for Elijah? Elias is the Greek name for the Hebrew name Elijah. Elias was a restorer. John the Baptist was the restorer. He came and prepared the way before Christ. And when asked, when Christ was asked about Elias, he says, Elias has already come, but he will come again. It was prophesied that he would come in the latter days. And so in the last days we know that Elijah or Elias, coming in the spirit of Elijah or in the spirit of the restorer, came and restored the Aaronic priesthood to the earth. The authority for the Aaronic priesthood to hear and receive the angel message. And this message is committed unto men on the earth by the angel flying through the midst of heaven. If you haven't received the angel message, brethren of the Aaronic priesthood, it behooves you to get on your knees and summon the gift and power of Almighty God that He might testify to you and unto this generation that the angel message is true, that you might know the gifts of repentance and the calling of God in the latter days to bring men into the preparatory state where they might receive the testimony of Jesus Christ, that they might have and obtain the angel message. You'll also remember that in the temple, one of the dedication services, that Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery knelt behind the veil. 
They pull the veil if you've been in the temple. You've seen the great curtain that separated the priesthood from the congregation. They pulled the veil over the Melchizedek altar and prayed to Almighty God. And there appeared unto them the Christ of eternity. They saw the face of God. And because of their faithfulness to the ordinances and their priesthood callings, as it says in section 83, they were able to see the face, behold the face of God and live. They saw the Christ standing on the breastplate of the Melchizedek pulpit and then appeared unto them Moses and Elijah and others, as you'll recall the testimony. Go back and study what happened there. There they were given the keys of Abraham to restore Israel. The twelve tribes to restore them in the latter days. That has not yet been accomplished. And then Elijah gave unto them the keys to restore. That the hearts of the fathers might again be turned to their children. And that the hearts of the children might be turned to their fathers. And that they might remember the covenants. And that's the beauty of the Book of Mormon. If you read the purpose of the Book of Mormon in the front of your book, it's to bring to Israel the knowledge of the covenants in the latter days. Do not forget your heritage. Do not forget the many. There are so many things that happened in the early restoration. Go back and study it. Men of the priesthood, it is incumbent upon you to know and understand the work into which you are called. And if you do not understand the work, you cannot magnify your callings before God. And to the Melchizedek priesthood was restored all the gifts and blessings, the spiritual blessings to the church. To bring men again into the presence of God, to sanctify them. And to receive the testimony of the Father and the Son and the gift and power of the Holy Ghost. And to have communion with the church of the firstborn. I want to read to you a few quotes. The time's getting by fast. Permit me for a few moments just to read a couple quotes from the Reformers. I want you to understand that the theological enterprises of the world that are at work today still base their beliefs upon the words of the Reformers and the very Reformers who they uphold as the great theological minds. They themselves confess that they were nothing and their restoration had to come. And that the apostolic gifts and the apostolic quorum must be filled again. And that God would set apostles again in the church and prophets. Martin Luther, in the Great Reformation, page 157, likened himself to a precursor or Elias preparing the way in spirit and power for the one who would one day 
trouble Israel. He further states, The ancient and primitive church of the apostles must on the one hand be restored in opposition to the papacy which it has so long oppressed. That is an outright prophecy that the church would be restored. The Wesley brothers foretell the coming of a latter-day glory, both in their sermons and in their songs and in their testimonies. Hear what they have to say. What could God have done which he hath not done to convince you that the day is coming, that the time is at hand, when he will fulfill his glorious promise and will arise to maintain his own cause and set up his kingdom? And again, from another one of his sermons, I trust this is only the beginning of a far greater work, the dawn of the latter-day glory. The time which we have reason to believe is at hand in what many pious men have termed the time of the latter-day glory, meaning the time when God would display his power. And his brother Charles Wesley, the great poet, prophesied of the coming of the prophet and the organization of the church with these words, Previous to the dreadful day which shall thy foes consume, Jesus Christ Christ prepared the way, let the lost prophet come. And again, he foretold of the restoration of the gospel, declaring the mind and will of God, saying, Almighty God of love, set up the attracting sign and summon whom thou dost approve for messengers divine. From Abraham's seed, the new apostles choose in isles and continents to spread the soul-reviving news. Most assuredly, God answered that prayer. And then hear the words of Alexander Campbell. The primitive gospel in its effulgence and power has yet to shine out in its original splendor to regenerate the world. Here is the founder of the Disciples of Christ Church declaring that the gospel is yet to shine with its original splendor. And he continues, The practical result of all creeds, reformations, and improvements, and the expectations and longings of society warrant the conclusion that some new revelation or some new development of the revelations of God must be made before the hopes and expectations of all Christians can be realized or Christianity can save and reform the nations of the world. We want the old gospel back and sustained by the ancient order of things. And then... Should the apostolic church finally be reproduced, thereby bringing Christ to the earth again in personal power and rest-giving influence, what a precept it would be for us. The full realization of this splendid ideal is what the world is waiting for, and until it is realized, we must continue to trust and pray and labor and hope and patiently wait. We must restore the gifts of Christ, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers to their proper places and power 
if we would have his peace rest upon us and once more be in him. Quotes from from W.H. Hawley in The Christian Evangelist, 1890. You see, even during the time of Joseph Smith, and even on after his assassination, and after the reorganization, the theological enterprises of the world were still proclaiming that a restoration must take place. And finally, Roger Williams conceived that the apostasy of the Antichrist has so far corrupted all that there can be no recovery out of an apostasy till Christ should send forth new apostles to plant the church anew. That's from Struggles and Triumphs of Religious Liberty and Noel's History of the Baptist Church. I bring those statements to you, brothers and sisters, because I think it's important that we realize from whence we came, that we remember the great heritage that is laid before us, and that we remember that God has empowered the church in the latter days, and those keys, those gifts and keys of the kingdom which were committed under the first elders of the church have been handed down to Father and Son, and those of you who can trace your lineage and you can trace your priesthood back to the hands of the first elders, indeed have those gifts and blessings. And today those keys are available to unlock the mysteries of the kingdom, to reveal all things concerning Zion and the things which yet must come upon the earth. Oh, that's so much I wanted to share with you tonight. I want to share just... One more thing with you. Contemplating a scripture this morning from section 34. Sorry, section 38, paragraph 4. read in 4D and I have made the earth rich and behold it is my footstool wherefore I will stand upon it and I hold forth and deign to give unto you greater riches even a land of promise a land flowing with milk and honey upon which there shall be no curse when the Lord cometh. And I will give it unto you for the land of your inheritance if you will seek it with all your heart. And this shall be my covenant with you. You shall have it for the land of your inheritance and for the inheritance of your children forever while the earth shall stand and ye shall possess it again in eternity no more to pass away and that's the covenant that God made with his church in the latter days like unto the covenants that he made with the prophets of old I hope you caught that 
I caught something there this morning. I know I've read it many times. It never stood out to me. But he says, before Zion can be redeemed, the earth must be cleansed of the curse. God has promised us a land of promise, free from the curse of darkness that reigns upon it. Zion shall be, it shall be redeemed in the Lord's time. He is getting ready to cleanse the earth. Life as we have known it will soon cease to exist. And the sons of men shall be tried as by fire. This I know to be true. These things which I have shared with you tonight, I know to be true. In closing, I'll share with you just a brief testimony. There are so many things I wanted to share tonight that we just don't have time to get to. But I want to share with you my testimony of this work in the Book of Mormon. I have many. I could spend the evening sharing them all with you. I'll share this one. A number of years ago, I was sitting at my desk at work. This is my practice in the mornings. I rise early and I study my scriptures. I spend time in prayer and fasting and study. I go to my altar. Many times... uh, The Lord moves in my heart and shares many things with me. It's a very special time to me. On this morning, I'd had a great experience. So on the way to work, and while I was there at work, I was contemplating my testimony of Jesus Christ. I wanted to know... Could I seal my testimony of this work of Jesus Christ of the Book of Mormon? We all like to think that we could. And in our better moments, perhaps we could. We never know when called upon to seal our testimony what it may require of us. And I was in deep contemplation of these things as I sat there at my desk at work. Suddenly, I was whisked away by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit carried me to the Carthage jail. He took me and he stood me beneath the statue. If you've been there, there's a statue of Joseph and Hiram, the prophet and patriarch of the church. And there I looked upon them, and the Spirit revealed to me that they had sealed their testimony with their own blood. As the Spirit moved upon my heart and I understood those things to be true, I had never questioned them. But I knew then that they were true. And then the Spirit carried me up into the jail. 
And I saw Joseph and Hiram kneeling on the floor praying. I heard one of the brethren sing to Joseph his favorite hymn as he contemplated. Spirit took me and I saw as Joseph said I go to go as a lamb to the slaughter. I saw him kiss his beloved wife on the forehead. And I saw him make his journey to Carthage. I saw also as the mob burst into the room, hail of bullets. And I saw him as he became a martyr for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some things you believe and some things you know. I testify to you tonight that these things I know assuredly to be true. I bear testimony of them. I uphold you before our Heavenly Father continually and for His church in these last days. Zion will be redeemed and it will be redeemed shortly in power. And this is my testimony in Jesus' name. Thank you, Brother Carl, for your testimony, for your preparation that you've made. Not just the preparation in these last few weeks, but the preparation of a lifetime of study. And I, too, stand to bear witness to you this evening, saints, of that impressive silence that has pervaded this sanctuary this evening. Have you recognized the Lord's Spirit, as it has moved in our midst. I thank you for coming with that attitude of worship, that you might be here to hear the Word preached in spirit and in truth. We'll close this evening's service by singing another Beloved hymn of the restoration that speaks of those things that our brother Carl preached upon. That's hymn that was written by Parley Pratt. It's number 288 in your hymnals. And we'll stand together and sing this hymn. And afterwards, Brother Tony will dismiss us with a benediction. Number 288.
Father who art in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is thy name. And Father, we count it a great joy and privilege to gather into this, your house, our sanctuary this night. And we have done so and worshiped thee in spirit and truth. Thank you, Father, for being with my brother Carl and giving him that strength to stand in the stead of thy son. And to remind us and to share with us that wonderful heritage of this gospel, its plainness, what it has restored. And Father, forgive us for those times we have taken for granted what we have. And Father, I pray at this time for our youth that as they seek you out in their lives, that they too might have their grove experience, that you might share with them the validity and truthfulness of this gospel. And for all those that have not had that testimony, as they seek you out, that you might share with them even that revelation. Thank you for revelation, Father. And how it is timeless and it still speaks to us today. And as you share with us from day to day, even new revelation. And so it is, Father, as we pronounce a benediction upon this service. May you be with thy people that are gathered here this night. May you give them strength and faith and courage to stand against those storms of life. And even as they beat upon them, May they look to Thee, and may You give them strength, and may You bless them. And so it is, Father. May we be a people that we live out our covenant, even that covenant by sacrifice. And so it is we pray these things in the name of Thy Holy Son, even Jesus Christ. Amen.